Hey, 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 welcome to another Talking Joe interview special with me, Mark. Today, I'll be talking to Robert Atkins. All right, stop. Whatever you're doing, TJ's back, the airwaves were chewing, rocking, a G.I. Joe podcast, interview special, questions will be asked. Will it ever stop, yo? I don't think so, not as long as someone's publishing Joe. Artists, writers, G.I. Joe fanboys, let's get this thing started and hope we don't annoy our guest in the studio right now. They've come in for a chat discussing when, where and how, probing. We're going in deep. Anything left, we might as well be asleep. Questioning them about the G.I. Joe history. Unwrapping answers like a whodunit mystery. T.J. Interview. T.J. Interview. T.J. Interview. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to another Talking Joe interview special with me, Mark. Today I'm talking to G.I. Joe artist Robert Atkins. Robert has worked as a penciler, inker and colourist in the comic industry for a number of years. He studied at Savannah College of Art and Design where he earned a Master's in Sequential Art and now teaches there himself. He is best known for his work on IDW's relaunch of G.I. Joe and the subsequent Snake Eyes series. But other work includes Amazing Spider-Man, Venom, Heroes for Hire, Ultimate Fantastic Four, and The Savage She-Hulk for Marvel Comics, Legion of Superheroes for DC Comics, and Forgotten Realms for DDP. He creates art for toy packaging and for various companies and brands, including Nerf, Marvel Legends, and Star Wars. He is the co-creator of a comic series called Elders of the Runestone. Most recently, he's been doing the penciling for Snake, the Snake Hunt arc of G.I. Joe, a real American hero that we've been talking about on the main show. And today's interview is a little bit of a deep dive into his work on Snake Hunt. So sit back, relax, and listen to the chat uh, with Robert. As soon as you mentioned it, I was like, yeah, of course, I love podcasts. I love being a part of it. And of course, I don't know, just consuming G.I. Joe as much as I like being a part of it. And and yeah. then so I was like, all right, a new G.I. Joe podcast. So I went and listened to you know the last few episodes you guys had done. And oh, my gosh, right. I was just cracking up. You guys are awesome. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I was what I wasn't expecting was the musical component. <laughs> <laughs> It's that probably the most important part of the show. <laughs> yeah, the little jingles and intros and outros and the little bumpers. Uh, that was definitely a surprise. That was really kind of, <laughs> that makes it a unique show for sure. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so have you got any sort of deadlines of when you've got to be doing something else today? Um, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm fairly open kind of for the rest of the afternoon. That's kind of why we kind of lucked out for me to be able to okay. to record today. Um, so really short of me taking my son to get a haircut later uh <laughs> <laughs> i think we're pretty open really yeah you're lucky we can't even do that anymore <laughs> oh gosh i know everything is so wild and it's even in even in the u.s it's different from state to state yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah it's strange yeah because you're you're in savannah now is that right yeah we're just outside of savannah georgia and of course you know there's you know uh, there's all kinds of caution and people are aware uh, but our family is in Illinois, you know, the Midwest, kind of central of the country area. And uh, you know, me and my wife, we both kind of grew up in the same town back in mm-hmm. Illinois. Right. And there has been a big hot spot. And the, mm. the governor, the local kind of government there has been 
just really locked down tight on everything. So a lot of restaurants closed, you know, a lot of uh, public businesses and that kind of stuff has been closed down a lot longer, uh, a lot of virtual school, you know, stuff like mm. that. Whereas here, it feels like a different country. It feels like a whole different <laughs> culture. And I'm like, I, I'll go to this store and I'm just like the only person wearing a mask. And I look around, I'm like, you guys are insane. Right. I'm like, what's going on? It's just, I mean, it's a much more rural area, not in downtown Savannah. Certainly in Savannah, people are, and people are very conscientious. It's more as you get to the outskirts of town and in the more rural areas. And I just think it's like, they're just not as affected by it. And so it's not as on their mind. You know, they don't really see yeah. it. It's it's not a part of their lives. And so they think this doesn't really apply to me, you know? So it's just strange. So we, we actually did, you know, just by chance, we happened to see some family from, from Illinois uh, around Christmas time. We were just, it was interesting talking to them about how different mm. <laughs> that life was, even in the same country, just from one area to the other. So, yeah, yeah, wild. absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's sort of just, <laughs> you know, in terms of uh, what is and isn't allowed, and, you know, regardless of people's necessary attitudes to it, mm-hmm. it could be sort of poles apart in terms of, well, even in the UK, they had uh, they had sort of different tiers of res- restrictions, but we're, now we're back in a, in a lockdown where, in theory, we're, we're not meant to be going out doing anything much at all apart uh, apart from you know the essentials and they've for the most part shut schools and so we've got to be back homeschooling again so wow, yeah. uh, that's uh that's yeah a whole load of fun <laughs> when you're meant to be doing your own job <laughs> doing oh. yeah you know so it's uh yeah tricky yeah well my wife she teaches uh elementary school so like third grade you know basically eight eight or nine year olds here you know, and I'm I'm kind of teaching full time as a professor, you know, at university mm-hmm. at uh, the Savannah College of Art and Design. So that's keeping me as far as like full time work. So we're like certainly right in the middle of trying to figure out how to teach in the middle of all of this. So we switched to kind of virtual learning back in April uh, and we've been doing that since. So we've been all right. kind of teaching from home and, you know, our kids, you know, trying to learn from home all last spring and through the summer. Our kids went back to school based in the the area we're at. They, you know, mm-hmm. everybody just went back to school where we're at. You know, the the teachers were required to wear masks, but the kids weren't. And I'm like, well, what's mm-hmm. the point? <laughs> but, oh gosh. Oh dear. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been bizarre. But um, yeah, but uh, but we've been teaching yeah virtually uh, at least the, in the in the the colleges since then. So all of my classes okay. have been online. Okay. okay. So probably quite a, quite a learning curve to kind of sh- shift to that different di- dynamic of being at the front of the class and being able to see, see everybody and their reactions and, you know, all the rest of it versus just doing it on the, yeah, do it, doing it remotely. It is. Um, before I taught at uh, Savannah College of Art and Design, we call it SCAD uh, down here. So before teaching down here, I taught with the comics experience which was a, it's not so much like a, a teaching, a collegiate teaching school as much as just a program. It's run by Andy Schmidt, who was the editor for IDW. Mm. Uh, he edited at Marvel Comics for seven, eight years. He edited like uh, the Civil War story, uh, Secret Invasion and um, Annihilation, a bunch of big crossover events for Marvel. And mm-hmm. then he went to IDW and edited all the Hasbro related books, you know, so uh-huh, G.I. Joe uh-huh. and Transformers for a number of years. So that's how I got to know him. Um, <laughs> so he did Civil War at Marvel, and then he did G.I. Joe Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. IDW. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that was his idea, but it just happened to be, <laughs> yeah, he happened to be the guy behind it. It's like, this thing keeps following me around. 
anyway, so he was he was running Comics Experience, and so we did everything virtually there. So I, I was actually used to teaching online. Okay. okay. To a certain extent, like we would hold like a, a video class uh, back then through like Adobe Connect and GoToMeeting and stuff like that software, uh, where I'd hold like a, a weekly you know, meeting and through online forums, you know, I'd you know give assignments and answer them and critique work and but it wasn't like accredited it wasn't graded it wasn't they just not like they mm-hmm. got a degree but they were able to learn about like the comics industry and production and stuff like that i did that for about seven years and then started teaching down at in savannah about three years ago uh uh-huh. full time so i was kind of just doing that on the side with my you know freelance uh, comics and video game and toy package art like illustration work and then kind of flip-flops now i teach full-time and I just kind of do the comic stuff as I can fit it in, you know. Right, right. Does that mean does that mean a lot of uh, kind of weekends and evenings and uh, or or, or is, does it does it uh, does it sort of slot in a little bit more sociably than that? Nope, it's really yeah weekends and evenings. <laughs> I really wish. <laughs> so <laughs> you nailed it. The uh, yeah. So when I, it's interesting to kind of really kind of touch on GI Joe specifically. I had actually been talking to IDW about maybe doing some more G.I. Joe work uh, in winter of 2018 because I was we were going to pitch a, like a, either a one-off graphic novel or maybe starting up some kind of an, a G.I. Joe yearbook or annual. And we had some ideas for that. And as we pitched it, I, you know, we really liked the ideas. And I think that it got some traction. Uh, at the time, there were some other editors there. That all you know, was kind of switched over. But the, they came back and said... Well, the reason why I was pitching a, like a one-off, like an annual mm-hmm. or a yearbook or something, it was just because I knew my schedule, you know. Okay. Because uh, okay. I was yeah, teaching yeah. full time, I, you know, didn't really have to time give to... you a bit, bit of a breathing space to do it rather than having to hit a monthly. Yeah. Same sort of monthly deadline. Yeah. So, and they came back and they're like, "Well, instead of that, how about doing like this big ten issue event where we throw in every <laughs> character that's ever lived?" And I was like, "What? <laughs> it's like, who made that promise and why? <laughs> why would you do that?" And um, so I was like, oh, my gosh. But at the same time, there was a few, you know, there were certainly a few things that my previous run with with IDW, which I thoroughly enjoyed and I just absolutely love the property. It's always hard for me to say no to G.I. Joe. It's just something I grew up on. And, mm-hmm. and I always want to be a part of it any opportunity I get. So I was like the a few things I, I didn't really get a chance to do with my previous run on G.I. Joe was ever get to work on a, you know, a real American hero, like the, the kind of the main canon series. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I didn't get to work on a monthly book with Larry. Um, I have sure, yeah. I have worked with Larry a couple times before, but on uh, non Joe related projects. Okay, and what what was that? So um, there was a book called Shadow Gambit okay. a while back, I think in 2012, 2013. Uh, you know, somebody else had wrote the plot. Uh, he was scripting it, like adapting the plot. Mm-hmm. He was scripting it, and then I was penciling it. Uh, it was like a kind of a standalone graphic novel. So it wasn't okay. through a major publisher. It was like self-published. And that was fun. It was kind of an action-adventure series uh, or just like a standalone graphic novel. But I did uh, the majority of that book. It's what I did basically right after I left the Snake Eyes Storm Shadow series back mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, this, for all of that was really appealing to me. You know, so this was in January of 2019 when they approached okay. me about it. And I was like, wow, I really want to do that. But I immediately said, I was like, look, this is... You know, it's a monthly book. I do have a full-time job here. In theory, I was like, if you get me the script right away, if I can get going on this, I can get a good head start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could, I could 
potentially do it, but we might need to bring somebody else, you know, for me to like alternate with, or mm -hmm. I might have to adjust either my style a little bit or something like that for me to be able to keep up. And they're like, no, sure, sure. yeah, we just want you on and like, we'll work with you on it. And I was like, okay. So then that was January of 2019. And, but I never really got a date as far as when they, when it was going to come out. <laughs> and I didn't, and you know, and I'd been picking up the trade. So I actually wasn't, I, I wasn't aware of like what issue had just come, in, come out, you know, so I wasn't right. even sure where they were at. And I didn't get a script. I didn't get a script. I was like, <laughs> it was about April. And I'm like, guys, I really need, <laughs> I really, when is this supposed to come out? I haven't heard anything. And they're like, well, we're just waiting on a script and we'll, as soon as we get it, we'll get it to you. I'm like, oh my gosh, man. Mm. And I'm just thinking this is eating up all that lead time that I thought oh, I would man. have. And so May, I finally got a script in May and they're like, all right, great. If you didn't have this issue by June, this is supposed to come out in July. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, that's impossible. <laughs> There's in May is, in, you know, finals, you know, right at the end of the semester, you know, at, at, for college. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was running a huge event for the school. Mm. You know, so I, I'm, you know, I'm putting in overtime at my job on top of like, oh no, you know, trying to do a full-time job of drawing this comic. So I realized, okay, if I'm going to do this book, a couple of things are going to have to happen. One, normally we draw comics 11 by 17, you know, just the mm -hmm. size paper we draw on, you know, and I've done it, you know, the commission I did for you, right? That firefly. Yeah. 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 So that size board, right? We draw that size so that we can get all the detail in and yeah, shrink it down, shrink, shrink it down. Detail. Right. So it looks a bit more, I don't know. One, we're not killing ourselves to get the detail in there, but also it just helps it look a bit more refined and yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. nuanced and things for the amount of time it takes to do those pages, I just started drawing it like one to one size. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I was literally drawing it the size of the book. So yeah, it's that, incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way uh, it's interesting to look at. And I think, you know, after we chat today, I'll, I'll email you some of the penciled pages from those, okay. those issues. That'd I be think cool, it'd yeah. be kind of interesting to look at because the other aspect too, is I, I call in my brother who is also an artist and he's been, he inked a lot of my work throughout the series who we have a similar style, but he has a much mm -hmm. cartoonier style than I do. And I think it was probably those two factors that kind of led to the work looking slightly different than probably what most people were used to, you know, with me mm -hmm. on the book, you know, maybe not as much. I mean, you're obviously, you're obviously in your own style, <laughs> you know, 24 seven, but it didn't to look to me jarring and I would never have guessed it was drawn a one-to-one -one scale in, until until I saw, saw that you'd uh, posted about that on online. Mm. So it was, uh, yeah, quite quite a surprise. But I guess, um, you know, with it being inked digitally, is my guess, um, that, that I guess that, that means that Brian would then have an opportunity to, to sort of zoom in and sort of refine some of the detail at a sort of slightly larger scale, as it were. Yeah, and in fact, you could go to... Uh, and not that I keep it regularly updated, but if you go to my my blog, it sounds like 10 years ago. If you go mm -hmm. to my, uh, I just posted it recently just because I, I almost use it more like an image hosting site than anything else because it's easy to link to. But if you just go to robertatkinsart.blogspot.com, there's a recent post there I put up just a couple of days ago of just some of the penciled pages actually. And all of those are drawn, you know, basically A4 size paper. Uh, so nine by 12 or eight you know, letter size. And so I do still get in there and I draw, I tend to draw small, which is basically the only way that allows me to even do this, you know, at a reduced mm -hmm. size. 
And as you say, like I would scan it in at a high res, you know, high resolution, and my yeah. So I'd scan it in at like 600 DPI, mm-hmm. and I knew that I could drop it down to 400 DPI, and then immediately up the dimensions, and it wouldn't lose its resolution. So what I was sending to my brother was the equivalent of an 11 by 17 400 DPI image. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then when he went in to digitally ink it, that was the thing was I was trusting him to go in and know my style of rendering to you know refine it to a certain extent and feather out as smooth as he could, you know, that kind of stuff with the inking. Um, yeah, and I, I, yeah. I guess I was watching a, a video that you had posted while you're sort of chatting along as you as you were penciling. And and I, and I guess your, your style helps in, in terms of uh, you know that that you do work with a, a very when you're doing a penciling stage a, a very fine point uh, and and it, it's 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 very tight to to begin with. I know that a lot of pencilers sort of work with a you know a softer large, larger pencil and and it's a bit little bit looser in the maybe in the pencil stages. So it's it's almost a drawing to begin with that you could kind of just you know darken the lines and you're looking quite close to a a um an, an ink to finish <laughs> uh, to product. my detriment really and to the detriment of my deadlines to be honest <laughs> um i think a lot of that came from when i started at devil's do right who had the licensing rights to gi joe before idw mm-hmm. had it it was right at that time from 2004 to 2006 like comics went through this like really horrible like growth growing pains where they kind of didn't want to have inkers and you could scan mm, at a high yeah. enough resolution. Like if you drew and you penciled tight enough, they thought, hey, we could just not pay an inker and we'll bump up <laughs> yeah. the contrast and we'll try and color it. And it all looked horrible. It all looked like muddy and kind of kind of washed out. I th- and- yeah, I think they did that. At, yeah, like as you say, at the end of the Devil's Due uh, run of uh, books when they were doing that World War Three arc. Yes, yeah. I, th- I, think, I think they did that then. Yeah, it was like that when I did fill-ins for like the... Oh, this is my, my very first work, so it's really, don't go find it, but it's like the worst. But it's like <laughs> Snake Eyes Declassified and some of the Dreadnoughts yeah. Declassified books. And so it was a lot of that, you know. So, but that forced me in my very early stages of my career to pencil incredibly tight um, mm. because we didn't have an inker. So I had to make it reproducible. I had to make every line basically like an inker. And one, it, it helped me in my inking. It helped me become a better inker, but also, yeah, it just it's more time consuming and it just ingrained in me that kind of bit of an OCD approach to <laughs> just penciling and keeping everything crazy tight. Because I, because I think as well, Shannon Gallant works uh, at times yeah. on a small, smaller board, and and knowing that that his inker can kind of, I guess, smooth out some of the imperfections when it's uh, when it's blowing up as mm-hmm. part of just the the process of you know that's my job get get the page down and on and the ideas there and and your job is to yeah isn't to just trace it but you know also just enhance at the same time you know smooth out the edges as they yeah and honestly I, that's where i got the idea um i'd seen some of his pages and i thought at first i and, and not at all like i don't mean this as a, a derogatory like they didn't look finished but i was like i thought they were layouts at first because they were smaller mm-hmm. and i was like you do the craziest tightest layouts he's like Dude, those are my finished pages. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, I was like immediately apologizing because I didn't want him to think I implied that they weren't finished. But I was like, no, these are, these are beautiful. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what to say. I was like, ah. But he, um, you know, I just, I didn't realize. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, you can draw it smaller. And, um, 
you don't have to be so uh, inanely detailed with every line you put down. And that's what an inker is there for. Honestly, that's the inker's job is to f- finish the art. You're there to collaborate and it's their job yeah. to go in and to focus on the line, to give it texture and detail and depth. And, you know, you're there to work together. So, so it was nice. It was awesome to kind of work with my brother. That was a lot of fun uh, to work on a book together and, and he helped a lot. So, um, but, you know, in the end, it, it was great to collaborate. I knew going into it that working with him because of the process, it was going to change the style slightly. But there are elements of it. I, I felt like it had been a while, too, since I had been on a regular like monthly book. And, you know, there were there are aspects of it, pages of it that I felt like I was you know more proud of. And, and I kind mm-hmm. of found my voice in certain aspects of the arc you know, more than others. But. Yeah, but anyway, it was interesting to be back on it for sure. And and was that the first time that you had worked with your brother in that same sort of combination to produce you know finished art like that? We had done uh, a few other covers. Uh, he has a book that he's done on Kickstarter called Final Street uh, that's published and going to be published through Source Point Press coming up. Okay. Um, so they've had successful Kickstarters. I've done the covers for those, and I did a book of, or a couple of few fill-in issues for X for Dark Horse that we worked together mm-hmm. on and I'm trying to think what else. I mean, a few projects here, there, you know, we've, we've done together just because we, we previously we lived you know fairly close together, like within about an hour and a half drive of each mm-hmm. other. So if I was ever tied on a deadline, he'd come up and help me finish it or, but only, you know, recently this project was certainly the largest kind of most extensive thing we did together. Cool. Yeah. And, and, and it was, it was the plan from quite early on in the process to, that you knew that to get it to work, he'd be a good trusted pair of hands to, to help you deliver the project and that you'd, you know, have the confidence in, in that he he'd kind of, he knew how to interpret your, your pencils into the, you know, finished inks. Yeah, for sure. And, and like I said, like I got, when I got that script, we had to turn it around pretty quickly and we were kind of on our heels. So I did those first two issues, 266 and 267. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it was alternating every other, wasn't it? Yeah. And then it was every other one. So I did six of the issues of the run and, and Netho did four. Uh, well, and then and then right towards the end, you know, Netho came in too, just to kind of help with that last issue, just because yeah, of schedules. Yeah, but a few of the final pages wasn't. Yeah, it? so it was. Um, oh man, the whole thing was just such a ride. It was so. Oh <laughs> gosh, it was. Um, <laughs> it was very interesting working with Larry again. So even just kind of wrapping my head around working with the way that he scripts, because he mm-hmm. scripts the you know, stories so differently. Uh, it's kind of an old school way of doing it, you know, the Marvel yeah, so they sort of, style. Yeah, dis- describe the kind of the Marvel method for, for, for Larry. So, so how would how would his scripts look and, and how would that compare to what you were used to from from someone uh, like like Chuck Dixon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting using Chuck as an example, because he's you know, he was one of uh, the most prolific and, and one of the easiest writers that I've had to, to work with. So Chuck would lay out a script that was literally, you know, page one and then would say next to it how many panels there are. Mm-hmm. And then down the left, it would say panel one, panel two through panel five or however many. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then it would by each panel, it would lay out the panel description and then the full dialogue, exactly what's being mm-hmm. said and any sound effects. Chuck was also brilliant at like not strictly going into crazy detail as far as like what camera angles to use or what size of panel occasionally he would mention if it was very important to the plot or if he had a great suggestion but he was he was really hands-off on giving a ton of visual direction 
Sure, yeah, yeah. Which is great because it allows the artist to feel confident in doing what they were hired to do, quite honestly. Yeah. You know, there are some scripts where I have, I work with writers that get a little too verbose and a little too descriptive <laughs> visually. And I'm like, That's, I'll take yeah. that as a suggestion, thanks, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you almost have to wade through that to actually find out what's happening in the script, you know. Yeah, it's like I heard like Alan Moore, you know, I've I've read some of his scripts (laughs) as well that that he'll he'll do he'll, you know, he'll potentially write a few pages just showing a particular panel. But then most normally will conclude. But if you've got a better way of doing this, just do that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And then you're left with that decision like, oh, I'm supposed to sit here and tell Alan Moore how to do it right. You know, it's like, oh, gosh. So, yeah, I kind of put you in a weird corner where... Yeah, so you have to you make that decision. Well, all sure. right, if I'm not going to do this, you have to come up with something better. Mm-hmm. And whereas you could just instead read the description and then let your thoughts, your visual thoughts, you'll come up with the best decision, you know, in, instinctually yeah. or yeah. naturally. That's probably about the easiest method in general. It's the easiest method to follow, probably the most efficient, time efficient as well. What we And then the second version we just described is probably the most difficult. Uh, because you have to like wade through like I said you have yeah, to kind of wade yeah, yeah. through that right in the middle uh, and, and more probably the most challenging not difficult but just the most creatively challenging is this Marvel method because mm-hmm. what you get is a paragraph sometimes even a sentence like literally a sentence <laughs> mm. that says uh, describes what's going to happen on the page the basic plot it's called a plot style script or Marvel method of scripting where you would just get a, a, a paragraph description. Uh, these major events happen on the page. Occasionally, mm-hmm. you might get some sample dialogue or somebody might think this uh, to give you some direction. And generally, you could even think of it like each sentence in that paragraph could be considered its own panel. Uh, uh-huh, sometimes it's yeah. that straightforward, but not always. And ultimately, it's up to you as the artist to break down the story flow, how many panels, the pacing, the rhythm, the body language, the facial expressions, and the whole time you have no idea what they're saying. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So it's, that's why it's so difficult. And so it kind of adds that extra little bit of appreciation for literally every artist that's ever worked on GI Joe, like with Larry. (laughs) (laughs) And then when you see GI Joe work, you're like, wow like that you know they're doing you know they're they're doing the best they can um now the other thing i'm not just sitting here i'm not here to throw larry under the bus like he's mm-hmm. he's phenomenal at what he does and he has his fun little quirks uh, you know and you guys acknowledge it on your podcast which i love you know his little <laughs> hammerisms you know but you have to give him a credit one thing he is phenomenal at is uh he'll get that art and then he crafts the story Sure. So he's able to just kind of roll with it and make it work and add dialogue to the facial expressions that you draw. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it makes sense. And for the most part, it's endearing and it uh, connects and it brings in past history and pushes plot lines forward and makes each character feel unique and individual. Uh, now it's a lot to juggle. And, you know, hopefully you have editors that are really on point and, know the lore and can help them along you know in mm-hmm. a perfect world then it would be seamless and you don't have any of the goofs right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know but then we wouldn't have anything to comment on when we do our podcast exactly so. <laughs> yeah what would we have to talk about exactly yeah. so uh, <laughs> in this process you know it it just took me 
a little bit to kind of like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is a whole different headspace artistically to figure out, you know, so. Because mm. um, you're, 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 I guess, much more than, a, you know, as a G, the G.I. Joe artist on the over a Larry script, a much more active collaborator because you're potentially going to be making quite different choices in the way you interpret that versus another artist, but perhaps who's who's feeding from from the same script because you know you're making all of these choices about what appears on the page how it's laid out how the characters are interacting responding what's what sort of expressions they might be having on their their face and then larry will feed off of that in terms of then the the eventual dialogue that lands on the page and potentially even inform the way that the story progresses because i guess he'll be able to see okay that was an interesting uh that was an interesting expression that, that character was displaying on that particular scene mm. what could that mean and uh, what could that foreshadow and how will i use that in the, in the next issue maybe it's always a, a treat when i get the issue afterwards and i read it and i was like well that's not the expression i was intending but man that's what he wrote <laughs> you know or uh, or he or he nails it you know it's really interesting um and the other the other thing too is i think it would be phenomenal for fans to be able to read the scripts after the fact to see what he changes or the other strange thing is like the nuances of the details that he does include so even like back for 266 when you have that kind of uh strange training sequence at the beginning oh yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know it could have been any kind of a layout it could have been in any kind of scene or scenario but the the people that were chosen were very specific Mm-hmm. It, it's thrown down against all these female characters and then he specifically said they're on these geometric pylons and i was like what okay <laughs> i was like why that of all things i'm like all right so i'm sitting here trying to draw this and then he's very specific about the weapons they have and then it, i thought it was hilarious because i've never heard any there it's awesome because as i was listening to your podcast like there are things that you guys pointed out that i haven't heard anybody else point out i was like oh my gosh you guys nailed it because <laughs> like why does scarlet how did you put it? She had a nubbin on the end a of her nubbin butt. on the end of her crossbow. <laughs> He's like, uh, I was like, why does she have some non-lethal version? But then, like, you know, others are going to just try and slice Sean in half if they get a chance. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and he's got a sword, you know. But anyway, and I think uh, Jinx has something kind of wrapped on the end of her, her, you know, bladed staff, but not, you know, really anything. It looks like saran mm-hmm. wrap. That wasn't drawn very well. But, okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. I, I see it now. You're talking about it, but at the yeah. time, I think I, I think I just thought it was like motion. Blur, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Well, and you know, I don't even know if the, I haven't looked at it in a while, but you know, so there are things that I might intend in the penciling, and it might not quite. You know, we try to communicate as best as we can, but it might not quite get interpreted that way in the inks, and and then once it's like playing telephone, it might once again <laughs> not get interpreted by the time it gets to the colorist. Yeah. And then, you know, it's every single step of the process that might get interpreted differently. And then sure enough, that's how you get all of these either miscolorings or, um, you know, things that end up happening. But yeah, so there's these things. Oh, another thing I remember you pointed out was Sean's sword. And so I did yeah. very specifically try to draw a new sword just with a bit of a, a new arc, uh, a slight costume change. I kept asking, I was like, is there a specific uniform you want me to draw for him? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we definitely want a more commando approach as opposed to like the ninja visor approach. And I was like, all right. 
uh, I was like, but what are you using recently? And, and I just was not getting much direction, to be honest. <laughs> and, and so I did something, and I was like, is it okay if I introduce a new kind of sword look? And they're like, yeah, definitely do it. And they said, actually, go ahead, because we'll make a big point to point out that sword in, in, in the uh-huh. next issue. I was like, okay, so I did it. And then, and then again, just a slight miscommunication. I sent all the reference to Netho, mm-hmm. and he just drew some like regular katana sword. And I'm like, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> dang it. So then, going forward, every time I drew the sword, I drew it the way I was drawing it. And then every time he drew the issues, he drew the sword <laughs> he was drawing. I'm like, dang it. This is this is why we communicate. Oh, so, you know, inevitably that kind of stuff is going to happen. For the most part, communication was really good through the mm-hmm. whole event. Uh, about as good as you can hope for, really. But those kinds did, of... Did you speak? Did you actually speak with uh, Netho or was it uh, emails? All, mostly emails. He's in Brazil. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and while he certainly speaks English, um, it's, it's very... I, d- I do think a few things, you know, occasionally might get lost a little bit in translation. Uh, and, I mean, he communicates perfectly fine, but it's, I do think in general, you know, it, there was just a slight disconnect occasionally. And whenever he needed help, you know, I was always sending him pages or if I needed to know what happened on the previous issue, he was really quick. And often we were sending stuff back and forth faster than the editors could keep up. Sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and we had phenomenal <laughs> editors, to be honest, like Tom and Megan were super, super helpful. Um, and so we were all really supportive of each other, trying to do our best to keep it together and keep stuff on time as best as we could it was just kind of uh, a lot to coordinate that, that's an interesting point about you said you're saying you know how how good the the editors were and how helpful they were because i think sometimes when if, when uh, things you know slip through or or you know something happens that that i guess the fans don't particularly like it it's sort of uh, the the editors that get pointed at saying they should have picked it up and uh, or maybe sort of reined larry in a uh, a bit. Can you can you give any examples of, of kind of the things that they've uh, that they, they did in that process that you know worked particularly well and or, you know picked up things or sort of just helped the process along? Because I think they you know they pro- probably do get uh, they do get knocked and, and you know <laughs> it's us us to, just as fans only seeing the end product. You know we have no idea of the kind of the role that they actually play. Oh gosh, yeah, they get a lot of stick. They do. They it, in general one knowing. Uh, just what I know about IDW in general, it's a much smaller operation than I think most people realize. So mm. if you go to San Diego, if you go to their offices, it's uh, in general not an incredibly large space. You have really, I think in total, maybe eight to 10 editors tops for the entire publishing company mm. mm-hmm. uh, handling the sheer number of production, the books that are getting put out. Uh, you have like a very small design team three to four people that are pre-pressing every book, lettering most of the books. And uh, you have like one to two guys in the back packing all the boxes (laughs) (laughs) Um, and getting things shipped out. Uh, Not obviously for all their distribution, but for all of their like comp copies for creators and for, you know, whatever advertising and marketing. And then you have a few editors that are there for special projects. And of course you have your editor in chief and senior editor. And, um, in general, each of them are juggling anywhere from, you know, four to even up to eight to 10 books mm-hmm. uh, a month. Now, not that each one of those are coming out every month, but that are in current production between uh, current monthly titles, which are the most labor intensive to collected editions, special mm-hmm. projects or larger things that aren't necessarily currently being drawn, but like the big special edition things, you know, that need to be 
managed, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then whenever you add into that, it's a license property that everything that's drawn has to then go through the editor, then through an approval process with Hasbro, then back through the editor, then get collected and do the printer and out. It's, uh, oh, it's just a lot of work, right? So <laughs> I'm not, so it just means that you have to put, as an editor, you have to put a lot of trust into your creators to basically know what they're doing and to be managing just canon and content as best as mm -hmm. they can. Ultimately, yes, it is their job to be, you know, making sure that everything's tight and continuity, right? And that yeah. <laughs> dead characters don't accidentally show up on a bus. <laughs> 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 Which, you know, so the other aspect is, you know, I think it's funny you mentioned Raining and Larry. And this isn't just IDW. I remember stories back at Devil's Do. It's just Larry is Larry. And it's, I don't know that you can rein him in to a certain extent. <laughs> it's very difficult. So he, he's, he's, he's on record all the time as just saying like, well, I don't even know what the next story is, you know? Yeah. And he like takes pride in that, <laughs> you know? I, I was yeah. like, what? Like, how do you? So <laughs> he, so when, and I'm just kind of like, we're just trying to, get, well, that's why my first, what, three or four covers were all homage covers is because I was like, well, what's the story about? I want to do a story right. specific okay. cover. They're like, we don't know. We don't know yet. And they're okay. like, just do some homage. And I was like, all right. So that first cover where Cobra Commander was throwing the dice, that was kind of like an old homage to where, I forget, now I forget the cover number, where they're they're playing chess with kind of like the Joe figures. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, so I just thought some kind of like, you know, kind of game game piece or game board. And then I thought, well, I could, it's Snake Hunt, so I could do the snake eyes on the dice. And I just, so that kind of came to mind. But, and then I, again, you two were the only ones who caught it, is the, I, that, that was really Snake Eyes in disguise as Flint, right? Yeah. And then you're like, I love that you guys said, well, maybe that's Sean in disguise as, as Stalker. <laughs> so that was really just an inside joke with a friend of mine because I one time did a, a print for just a local comic shop that wanted to do like an exclusive print. And so I did mm -hmm. uh, a G.I. Joe, fun, uh, just a print, big uh, group shot. And I had Flint in the background and with the group. And we sent it to the colorist. It wasn't my colorist, to somebody they picked. But they colored mm -hmm. in uh, Flint as as a black guy. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, wait, did they think that was Stalker? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he doesn't have a mustache, right? It's just because he had a beret on, you know. And so uh -huh. <laughs> uh, I guess this colorist doesn't know G.I. Joe at all. So anyway, so I was talking to that um, that store owner. And I was like, hey, I did this homage cover where instead of Flint, I did Stalker. <laughs> I swapped him out on the car. <laughs> And then I thought it was funny too because that was like Snake Eyes impersonating Flint, and then we had Sean. And then I did I said that kind of as a joke to the store owner. I was like, "Oh, this is actually Sean impersonating." Oh wow! <laughs> and we had that joke, and then you guys totally said it on the podcast. I was like, <laughs> I never thought anybody would make that connection. I thought it was just a silly inside joke between me and this other guy, <laughs> and you guys called it out. <laughs> anyway, fantastic. So weird. Um, so so that makes sense now so that that was why you had uh the the homage covers and then sort of uh oh, sure. going forward after that it was it was um part five was the secret of the sludge cover but i think that might have been the end of end of the homages yeah you know, so it was from that point on i asked if i could do other characters or if i could do uh story specific stuff and they're like uh just do snake eyes covers <laughs> and i was like 
Well, I'd, I'd like to do other things. And um, I did one where I think I had Scarlet and Dawn and just I tried to throw in as many Vipers as I could, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of all attacking at once. And they're like, well, Hasbro likes this, but they just wanted you to draw Snake Eyes doing more flips. <laughs> <laughs> and that was really the, what they came. I was like, word for word, they came back and said, I was like, OK. And uh, <laughs> uh, which was fun. And I love drawing Snake Eyes. Like I, I, I can never get tired of it. But um, it was just kind of funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good. So. I didn't, so we were kind of, we never quite knew, as far as an editor working with Larry, you're going to get the script when he's ready to send it in, and you kind of don't know what's coming down the pike. So that was one of the things where they were like, well, we promise that we're going to have every Joe, living Joe, um, mm-hmm. and I was like, <laughs> and a few dead ones, and uh, and because we would get a script, and I was like, I don't think Crazy Legs is still alive, and um <laughs> but he, there he is on the script over and over again. Okay. And right. then there was once or twice I was just going down the list. You know, I, I have a huge list of people to put on a bus or mm-hmm. whatever, or in the background of a pit scene or something like that. And I'm just looking up reference to make sure I draw them correctly. And, I, and I'm submitting it and not even thinking twice, like, oh, wait, are they still alive sometimes? Mm-hmm. And and then I'm also kind of trusting, oh, my editors are doing the, giving this a once over. And for the most part, they do. And they would catch it. But like I'm mentioning, not just to make excuses, but generally, you know, they're busy also. Yeah. And I'm I'm positive. I, well, I know for a fact early on one or two slipped through mm-hmm. because we heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was uh, I think there was what did we have? Crankcase, Heavy Metal and Crazy Legs made it through. Yeah. So so after that happened, we got Diana Davis, who's a good friend. She's really active on a lot of the G.I. Joe forums and Facebook and the boards. And she knows Larry really well from all the conventions and um, uh, just kind of a vocal fan. Kind of, I don't, I, I, I think IDW, re- I don't know exactly know how the contact was made, whether it was IDW reached out to her or she offered her services. But at any rate, we got a bit of a fan consultant, which was phenomenal. So somebody who mm. had the time was willing to do it. And as soon as Larry had a script, we would forward it to her. She would give it a once over to make sure that there weren't any dead Joes. <laughs> and uh, inevitably she was like, okay, well, this Joe is dead. <laughs> and here, and she would be like, Robert, here are three options of people who have either similar specialities or mm-hmm. we haven't seen yet. You could throw in and use, you know? Um, and so that was incredibly helpful. So, uh, cool. So we were able to tighten it up a little bit, you know, for the second half of the series. And that 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 got introduced what, about halfway through Snake Hunt, did it? Yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. It was probably yeah by the fourth or fifth issue or whatever. There was a there was another there was another good one which which I was going to ask you about, which is there's a there's a scene with all of the dreadnoughts, and I I, I do wonder what was on the on the page where the the description was basically just all all the dreadnoughts, and you just you know filled it in, or whether there was a list of people to include but one of the dreadnoughts there was uh Zanya, which was the um zartan's daughter yeah. that was introduced in in the devil's due continuity and in her first appearance in this issue in the real american hero continuity in the letters pages uh, larry makes a point that any characters introduced in other continuities that weren't created by him are not part of his universe uh, I, which is somewhat ironic so yeah i'd be interested to hear about that one so that's um so i don't think <laughs> so yeah in the script it says uh it's a trailer full of dreadnought uh-huh. and so then from me coming from like getting to work on the devil's do stuff 
I got to work on you know, Dreadnoughts Declassified and a lot of sure. those characters mm-hmm. who I really enjoyed. And um, and I have kind of heard Larry say that before. <laughs> I, thought, I wonder if I sneak him in if uh, or if I sneak her in, if anybody's going to notice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so far, I mean, fans certainly have, and they've asked me about it. And I was like, well, you know, in the script it just said Dreadnoughts. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, all right. So I don't think I don't. To be honest, unless Larry brings it up, I'm not going to talk about it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she's not addressed by name, so, yeah. so it's not to say that it is the same character from the other continuity. <laughs> it could just be, you know, yeah, he didn't. Funky, I'm sure he saw the art as it came in. Uh, he didn't mention it, and he doesn't give her any dialogue. So you know, he probably yeah. still doesn't acknowledge it. I'm sure if you asked him. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he makes a point of saying that he doesn't read GI Joe as written by other creators. So. It's, I guess, conceivable that that he might not have read those Devil's Due uh, issues, oh, and I'm I mean, sure, she does, yeah. uh, she does appear on the front cover as well to that issue, I think, <laughs> um, on the uh, on the variant from John Royal. So it's uh, if if you hadn't noticed it in the issue, you'd certainly notice it from the, from the variant cover. Oh but man, that's great. He, you know, he does his own thing. Um, you know, that, that isn't necessarily loyal to what's going on in the uh, inside of the book, anyway. Well, that's true. Yeah, but yeah, so. There was there was that, and then there's another <laughs> kind of little thing I snuck in with the character Hot Sauce. I don't know if you're familiar with. Yeah, I saw you um, posting about this guy. <laughs> yeah, so he's kind of our our own little little kind of background, uh, creator own GI Joe character that we've kind of thrown in throughout the years. And um, so I, whenever I have a, a, a nice big group of GI Joe <laughs> characters, I always give him a cameo <laughs> just for the fun of it. But. I know after these issues came out, like especially right after they came out, I'd get messages and emails from a lot of my you know friends and and fans. Who's this person on this page? And you know all this, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I have to go back and find. You know, I don't. I forget. It was fun overall. There was a lot of characters I had never had a chance to draw the October Guard before. Um, there was a number of characters I hadn't. You know, this was kind of my first chance just to get to draw them on the page. That was a lot of fun. Because I did my initial bus scene, and then, of course, I think uh, you know, Netho came in and did his uh, bus. And then from that point, you know, because I think my initial bus scene had, you know, a few people on it that shouldn't have been. And then right. and it kind of revised as we went. And, there, and so our little behind-the-scenes conversation was maybe some people got kicked off the bus <laughs> you know, and didn't make it, you know, to Springfield. Okay. <laughs> and then you I was like, "Cause Lady J's on the bus, uh-huh. on the when they leave, uh, you know, the Utah base, she's on the bus. But then mm-hmm. she's parachuting down to the <laughs> to the to the roof, and they're like, "Wait a minute!" They're like, "Well, maybe they dropped by the airport." You know, <laughs> I was like, "What?" Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No prize. It. You're coming up with your no own no prizes here. I know. Well, man. Then there, I could tell you a few. There's uh, a. <laughs> Ones that we were kind of catching on the way that we're just like, uh, you know, trying to put out fires of whenever you, you have to do a group scene like this, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I, I, the, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. You know what I mean? We, we had, I, I don't want to sit here and like complain about a project that I got a, ch- a chance to, to work on, but I, I, I'm a fan of it too, you know, where mm-hmm. I was excited to be on a project where the idea of drawing every living Joe like excited me. Um, sure. But I didn't want to draw every living Joe sitting on a bus <laughs> uh, and then like literally never getting off the bus. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. what? Um, 
you know, so there was a few aspects of the story that I was kind of hoping for a little bit more, to be honest. And, sure. um, you know, I'm sure like a lot of people. So it's not it was it was fine for a story. There were some some aspects of the the logistics that I, I wish could have been different. There was aspects of the process I wish could have been different and a few aspects of the story itself that I'm happy I got a chance to work on it. Uh, and there were some moments that I had I couldn't have been happier about. But yeah, certainly there were some things that I wish could have been a bit different too. But it's like that with just about every project, to yeah. be honest, you know. And and in those big in the in the big big scenes like the the bus scenes where where you do have to draw an awful lot of Joes. In those circumstances, you were you were generally working from a a list of named Joes of who to include in each in each scene. It wasn't it wasn't random characters that you were magicking magicking up out of your own imagination. It was generally including the the people that you were directed to. Yeah, he definitely. Yeah, Larry definitely had a very specific list um, mm-hmm. for each of those. But like bus one, th- these are the people on bus one, and bus two, these are the people there, and then these were the people that were in the command suburban. You know, and these are the people who were the the tactical kind of parachute drop that were infiltrating in, and so there were all these separate divisions. These were the the Air Chicago team that were infiltrating from the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and through this kind of tunnel system. Yeah, so it was, you know, all of that was kind of the concept of it, you know, kind of infiltrating from these multiple areas I thought was interesting. You know, I, you know, I liked, I liked the idea of like the camaraderie of like, we're going all in, you know, people like, I'm here to basically put in for leave, you know, the the idea, like we're going all in <laughs> for this guy, you know, like that was yeah. great. I love the camaraderie of it, the showing different teams, team up that you wouldn't normally see. Like, of course, the Air Chicago group, like that makes sense, but just like, some of the people on that airborne team, you know, grouping up, you wouldn't normally see together, you know. Um, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, just stuff like that, that was really fun. Even towards the end of this issue, 273, just that moment, like it's all about to go down, like those four last panels, like that, that moment was fun. But um, when, when you boil it down, <laughs> uh, yeah, Snake Eyes gets grabbed. Gets he, rescued. He gets <laughs> rescued, and it takes 10 <laughs> issues to do that. I was like, well... <laughs> Yeah, it felt. I mean, it sort of felt a little bit like the the ending was relatively abrupt. That maybe maybe there was a little bit more to to do with with the, all of those characters once they'd been brought together. That that maybe that point could uh, could last a little mm-hmm. bit longer, per, perhaps. And uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like it. It was wrapped up in a in a bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was For kind sure. of. I remember feeling by issue three, especially, I was kind of like, when is this going to pick up? And because uh, I was, I kind of figured like if we're going to introduce everybody, like when, when's that going to happen? And you know, I was just kind of curious. Um, and then especially when we got to like like two seventy three, I'm like, this is going to wrap up in two issues. <laughs> like, whoa, mm. um, you know, where's it going to go? And I was like, okay, well they're just getting out. And I certainly didn't know that issue two seventy five was going to be oversized or a silent issue mm. or not have paneled storytelling <laughs> yeah so at what point did you find out about that um so we got well of course you know with covid um i had just turned in uh that page 273 so that page you know it's funny i point out that last page of 273 um not my favorite page that was a bit goofy <laughs> <laughs> the I, last page. I'm, not, I'm not too prideful to say it <laughs> it's fine there's, um, there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that at all that's all right you know well it's 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't know why you're picking on okay. that poor page. <laughs> well, because uh, I had to turn it in in the afternoon. The, okay, so okay. it's because I was finished. I finished page 19, 18, I think. And, and IDW said, all right, everybody pencils down. And, I, ah, and ah. we're like, whoa, because with, with COVID and everybody was locking down. Diamond stopped. Um, they shut their doors. Uh, the distributors, yeah, you know, yeah. to send out books. And IDW is like, well, if we can't get books shipped, then we can't guarantee when books will be sold. So then we can't guarantee that we can continue paying people. And until we know these things, like we don't want anybody producing more stuff. Mm. And I was like, I literally have two more pages. Please, like, let me just finish these two pages. And uh, and they said, uh, they're like, well, if you can get it done by the end of the workday, then yes. But we we just, you know, company policy, we just can't you know, mm, logistically. Mm. And then, so I was like, all right, burn in the oil. So this is like Thursday night. And, and then they're like, well, you have to have it done by the end of the workday Friday. I was like three pages by tomorrow. Let's do it. You know? So mm-hmm. I got 273 done because literally I didn't know when nobody knew anything, you know, back then, sure. like yeah, when yeah, anything yeah. was going to happen again. So from like, it was in April, I guess, early April, they said pencils down, nobody work on anything. I got those last two pages turned in under the gun. And then we were waiting and I was like, does Larry happen to have the script for 275? <laughs> I was like, I promise I won't turn in any finished pages, yeah. but oh my gosh, I'm on a groove. I felt really pumped because I just yeah. cranked out like three pages. Mm. I'm like, if I could get a start on this, we could actually finally get ahead of the schedule instead of being behind the schedule. Yeah. Could have been an opportunity in disguise, right? I know. I was like, nobody else is working. Please like, let me work. And uh, they're like, no, he, do- he doesn't. And, um, I was like, oh man. And then, so Netho, he didn't have a script to work on. I didn't have a script to work on. And so we were waiting. And then it wasn't until June that they said, all right, guys, let's pick it up again. Mm -hmm. And so then I was waiting on the script. So Netho got his script and then he started on 274. And then I got my script like two days later. I was like, whoa, man, he must have. (laughs) It's like, he must have been really burning, you know, burning the midnight oil. Get this done. All right. And then I looked at my script and I was like, what? <laughs> because it was literally 30 pages of like one sentence descriptions. And they're like, oh, Robert, you're going to be so excited. You get 30 splash pages, like 31 panel illustrations. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, what? And he goes, and it's going to be a silent issue. Like, dun, dun, dun. Okay. Then, it was a silent issue at the script <laughs> stage. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't after the event of going, you know what? We don't actually need to add speech. <laughs> yeah. So if you're famously, you know, issue 21, the silent issue, Larry does like to tell the story that sure it was kind of because of production that they were under the gun. He did all the layouts, pretty tight layouts and sent it to the inker. They didn't have time to send it to the, the letterer and or for him to script it out. And so they just sent it to the colorist and got it printed. And yeah. now to his absolute credit, it's a phenomenal issue. And to his credit and his ability to tell a story visually, it's incredibly clear and a wonderful story, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But also incredibly appropriate because you have a silent character infiltrating as stealthily as possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a base to get somebody out as quietly as possible. Like, so perfect setting <laughs> for a silent issue. <laughs> yeah. And as I recall, part 10 wasn't particularly silent. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We have an all-out battle, multiple commands being yelled, you know, explosions, city streets, you know, exploding. Uh, 
So, <laughs> so I got this script, and to be honest, so I got it in like late June, and now this this is where I dropped the ball is just because I. I've never had such a challenge in my career, like artistically, oh, wow. uh, to wrap my head around, oh, gosh, how just to, to logistically tell the story of all of these moving pieces with like mm. literally uh, you know, well over 100 characters and in <laughs> all of these different set pieces mm. uh, with only one panel per page. To, to get the point across. Now, mm. uh, some pages were a bit easier than others, and some pages were more fun than others, to be honest. You know, um, a few that come to mind, you know, just some of the hallway pages where uh, you had Snake Eyes and the Air Chicago group, like, and that, that combined roof uh, infiltration group, like taking out Cobra Commander and all the Vipers mm-hmm. uh, as they passed by. Those were fun melee shots to, to do. Yeah, when they come out the front doors and you see like this really cool kind of epic, you know, landscape shot of the, um, or not landscape, but just you see the landscape of the battle in front of the community center there. Uh, I liked doing that one. And when they come in and kind of, they're almost as a wave, they kind of help save Roadblock and the Command Suburban, you know, from being overrun. Some of those moments I really enjoyed. But then there was other moments where it just made, you know, to, in my opinion, it just really didn't make a lot of sense for it to be a splash page. And it would mm-hmm. have been so much smoother to have a, a few panels to set up, you know, have a climax and payoff, you know, some kind of resolution within the storytelling. So it was just tough. And to be honest, it left a few strange cliffhangers without having dialogue. You know, you have major characters like Laura 343 who yeah. makes a bit of a strange decision that isn't explained. And so we don't know yet <laughs> we don't or hope, hopefully he'll pick up on it and yeah we'll, so we'll i do find hope out, so right? like if she survived which i would expect she it does say in the script that she kind of dives out of the way but then the mm. entire <laughs> like uh she throws a grenade you know so she kind of turns on the other cgs uh you know crimson guards and stuff you know you you see her empathize with snake eyes a bit throughout the whole capture and his ability and he does a bit of like ninja voodoo on her a bit <laughs> and then yeah then with, with his with hand fingers, gestures yeah. and, and things she's like ooh, and then gets she gets knocked out yeah but then for you know and and she kind of gets shot you know kind of and or takes an injury and uh and of course he shows a, a bit of care for her mm-hmm. and but right before that you know cobra commander says get him and she's like I'll, yeah i'll do it you know and mm-hmm so it's strange. You know, she just makes such an abrupt turn as a character. So I'm curious to see how that will get developed You know, yeah, as a fan. Like, I'm just like, what's going to happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm really interested. But then the, so she t- kind of turns on the Crimson Guard, throws a grenade. That's right when they notice the whole place is laced with C4 up in the ceilings. <laughs> the grenade goes off, which sets off the C4, which explodes out, you know, the street level because this is all happening in the sub-basement. Uh-huh. Okay, so that's the big explosion page <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm glad i'm here to give commentary and explain that. <laughs> yeah i must admit uh, I, I wasn't i wasn't completely sure what what kind of how that that explosion connected to the rest of the story i know yeah because uh see that's <laughs> 
That's why comics normally are <laughs> a combination of prose and visuals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's just, it needs that. It needs that written explanation at times, or at least a couple panels to set up yeah, that yeah. chain if, reaction. Yeah, as you, yeah, as you say, the, if you, you had the couple of beats before it, you, it would kind you, you know, you'd have the leap. But yeah, it's it's almost, you know, it's like almost like t- telling the an entire comic on a couple of pages because you'd normally have, I don't know, you, it depends, doesn't it? But you, you might have up to nine also you know panels on a on a page at most yeah um and, and so you could tell you could tell almost the equivalent number of uh within three pages almost the the same as you could with um with just just splashes so you, you yeah you've got it's it's a it's a decision i guess of which particular snapshot you're you're showing without mm. the the connective tissue between the two that you would normally normally have between yeah. the panels right? and then you're just trusting Based on this is why it was such it was so hard to wrap around my wrap my head around it and and you know I think some pages I was more successful at than others I think if there's a failure it's you know I do the best I can but I just you know mm-hmm. I think there are times where maybe I didn't have the best solution you know I second guess it constantly but you know she throws the grenade and so I'm just thinking compositionally we see where the grenade comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, she or I think you know it's after the fact. The grenade's bouncing towards you. She's jumping away, so I want to show that potentially down the road she could survive potentially because she's not in the middle of the blast, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the grenade's bouncing at you visually, you follow up the body of the crimson guard who's pointing up at the ceiling. So it gives you yep. at least something to look at. Uh-huh. And then how do you draw blocks of C four? Like so, I'm trying to show <laughs> you know something that yeah. is pretty nondescript you know a block of c4 is the most boring thing to look at Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to show blocks of some kind of armed you know explosive with wires and stuff going in it and i'm just hoping that somebody sees those details and that compositionally with somebody pointing right at it like Mm -hmm. look at that thing yeah he's pointing up at the ceiling next next page there's the top of a building exploding which is yeah but that's the only thing you have to connect the two Mm -hmm. and it's a bit of a jump (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean like that's all I can do like that's what was in the script Uh, that's all I can do visually and so I'm just sitting here like agonizing over this for about a month and I took two I mean so that's honestly what put 275 behind it was was me that was on me and I'm you know I'll take full blame for that but I just it was hard it was the hardest thing I've done in my career was trying to wrap my head around how to solve that problem you know that challenge so um, I got about 20 well and the other thing too is that was the only issue i drew full size so previous to that i had drawn everything Mm -hmm. smaller and i was like oh my gosh if i have to draw 30 people on this page (laughs) uh, i'm not going to do that you know one-to-one size uh and and to be honest too i mean these were uh if i'm drawing 30 splash pages or at this point 20 splash pages you know i would just want to be able to have them and and see them full size or whatever so yeah i guess i'm I'm betting that there was a lot of collectors clamoring to try and buy them is are they are they are you, are they still with you or or have they been uh, they've been sold i do have them um i sent them all, i do have an art agent now so i sent them over to my art agent so there's a couple that i think i'm probably going to hang on to because honestly all my art from my previous runs have all sold all the uh-huh. covers for this run i sold before i did them oh wow they somebody said are you doing covers for this run i was like yeah they're like i want to buy all <laughs> of them i was like what wow so I was able just to throw out a price, and he was like, all right, great. I want all of them. I'm like, oh, geez, I should have charged more. You should have said more, yeah. So uh, that's not how you negotiate. Dang it. 
yeah so yeah so i you know i wanted to have a commodity there you know obviously i want to draw them full size and so if if someone wants to buy one of your pages one of the listeners where where do they go so there's uh moregreatart.com or mga and uh so mike alexander uh he is the guy who handles a lot of my art probably eventually i'll end up running uh, commissions and things through him too um because mm-hmm. that's uh uh, well, I mean, to be honest, that's another thing that I'm not awesome at, which I'm sure you could talk to Chief about. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just. <laughs> uh, that's right. So you'll have heard him moaning about you in the last episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's got every right to moan about it. Yeah. So it's. But at any rate. So, yeah, more great art. But yeah. So, I'll, you know, a lot of my old art from the old G.I. Joe series was sold. And so there's a couple pages I wanted to keep just to kind of have for myself. And mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, those pages are up there and. Uh, but so we got, you know, it was good. I kept saying, I was like, look, I'm more than happy to split these pages and just to get it done on time. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're like, no, we'd really like you to do it yourself. And I was like, well, I would too. But here's the reality is this is an insane issue. Um, <laughs> but I went ahead and did all the, the layouts. And then it got it just got to the point where like, look, we're just going to go ahead and give Netho, you know, the last 10 pages uh, yeah. that I had laid and out. I, th- I think it's almost not a, like a nice synchronicity as as well in terms of, the fact that that the project was a joint effort between the mm-hmm. two artists, and then that that final conclusion is is also a joint effort because of that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't; it's not jarring. Yeah, um, I mean, if we they gotten somebody else, it might have been a bit strange, or yeah, even even the cutoff point. We kind of wrapped up Sean getting out of the community center and being out there, and really, what Netho came in to do was kind of just the the, the exfiltration from you know just literally just pulling people out. And, and that worked out fine as far as a break in the story. So, it, yeah, it all worked out fine to kind of wrap it up. But it was, uh, whew, man, when it was done, I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, <laughs> what a way. Yeah, when I, was, when I was thinking about the questions to, to ask you, one of them one of them was going to be, you know, the splash page issue. The fact that it is just effectively a single panel per page, does that make it much easier to, to draw? But clearly not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's. I think it has its place, and I love a good splash page for impact. Mm-hmm. But when every page is an impact, you lose that you know, special mm-hmm. moment, you know, and it becomes a poster book, you know. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially when you, there's no dialogue. So, I don't really know. You know, it's interesting. It was a in theory, maybe it's a good experiment. I I haven't talked to Larry about it. I don't know if it was just so he could wrap up the event and move on to something else if it was because we had pencils down for two months and it was a way to get back on track for him at least for me Mm -hmm. it put me behind you know quite a bit i think it put the series behind uh, as a result Mm -hmm. but i don't you know i don't think it's (laughs) now well it's funny because i was on another podcast i was on star joe's talking about it with brian shearer and um okay it was at least the two of us but um we were talking about it because he was working on issue 276 the law and order issue yeah yeah and simultaneously as I was working on no no he was working oh, on wow. 277 that's right so Netho got uh, 276 when I was working on 275 right wow so I was doing 275 it was taking me forever Netho finished 276 <laughs> <laughs> and they're like hey can you come on and help Robert with 275 he's taking a while and Netho was like yeah I can do that and then Brian Shear got 277 and was almost mm-hmm. done with 277. I was like, I cannot let Brian finish 277 <laughs> before <laughs> I finish 275. So I turned in my last page of 275, and then I think like three days later, Brian finished <laughs> 277. And I was like, oh. Very good. 
So at least they, you know, they had a couple in the bag. Um, yeah, so they were building up. They were somehow able to build up a little bit of a buffer. Unfortunately, it wasn't <laughs> 10 issues earlier for you. Oh, gosh, I know. Yeah, it was just all you know, on my back. And I was like, oh, you know, I uh, I don't mind taking the blame. I'll take the blame. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too big of a man to do that. I was like, I'll hold my hands up. It's okay. And and you think this is it's scratched or or torn away at your itch in, enough to be drawing uh, the GI Joe uh, <laughs> characters now that you're you're happy to give it a, a break for a while, or or do you think uh, do you think you'd like to get back on the, a, a GI Joe book to do something again someday? That's a good question. It's funny. I think um, what I mean, what I definitely learned from it. And I think what IDW learned from it is I'm, I'm not going to do a monthly book. Um, mm-hmm. I think with me teaching full time, that's just the logistics of it. I mean, I absolutely love teaching. That was uh, I love drawing comics. I mean, that was certainly a dream of mine. But even when I went to school to because I got a degree in sequential art. So it, even when I was in school, it was with the ultimate goal to teach. It's just I've always wanted to. teach. OK. And so I knew when I was in school that I loved the collegiate experience, but I wanted experience in the industry first, you know, to be able to know mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. inner workings of how it was done and production and how to market yourself and how to set up at conventions and, you know, all those kinds of things. Sure. I want I wanted to live it, you know, before I taught it. So, so now that I'm teaching, like I, I thoroughly enjoy that, that obviously offers me a bit of, you know, financial stability. And uh, so now when I do comics, I do it because I love it. You know, I'm only going right. to work on projects that I think are fun and something I love. Um, mm-hmm. Now, G.I. Joe, as stressful as that whole project was, <laughs> I still am really glad I got to do it. Like the whole time I was, I mean, I was still just loving I got to be a part of the projects again and the property. And sure enough, like last month, I did send IDW an email saying like, here's actually a couple other proposed ideas we have. So I was talking with Chad Bowers, who is mm-hmm. kind of work, uh, working on snake eyes dead game with rob liefeld um, yeah he's a friend uh, friend of the show because he's uh he's come on with chief uh, a couple of times now oh great yeah so chad is awesome i've set up with him at a couple of conventions and he just has phenomenal ideas he has such a love for the property he's so well versed in the lore and uh, he had some phenomenal ideas so uh we wanted to run those by idw just to get their thoughts and you know whether it was with me as an artist or not we were just kind of pitching that just to kind of mm-hmm. get it in front of them, uh, which I'm perfectly fine not being the artist on it, but um, just to kind of get it in front of them uh, with the idea that if I was going to be attached in any way that, you know, again, potentially like a, I think there's room in the market and within the property to do some kind of a biannual or annual book, like a standalone 40 page, like self-contained mm-hmm. adventure. I think that'd be a lot of fun and uh, we could get a rotating group of artists and, or, just short 10 to 12 page anthology stories. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of fun things that we could do that don't have to be bogged down with like decades of story, but, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but feel like they could fit into any one of, you know, the stories that we've read. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So I would be all for that. I would get so excited to draw and I could easily fit that into my schedule. You know, that then we wouldn't have, you know, the monthly deadline, the solicitations kind of hanging over us. Uh, and, Mm -hmm expectations of people wondering where the book is or any of that so we could just kind of do it and then it when it's done then they solicit it and then people can be like oh that's fun and pick it up and be excited about it um yeah sure sounds like a yeah a nice concept yeah so that kind of thing i would absolutely love to do but obviously so given my current situation 
that's that would be the only way I could kind of see you doing that. <laughs> that or given enough lead time to get uh, a whole issue oh, done. <laughs> but yeah. I think you know, with with the GI Joe artists coming coming on board, I think there's there's kind of there's a bit of a learning curve in terms of how you cope with uh, sort of get used to the characters, how you interpret them, how you deal with maybe as you know as many cast members there are on a on a page and so uh, the fact that you know you're so accomplished uh, and got all of the experience under your, your belt should mean that yeah you can just hit the ground running do an issue and and get it out the way and 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 it not it not be jarring or, or sort of you know preventative of of you know that learning curve i, I guess that, yeah uh, i i do think that even with back in 276 like it really felt like I was just kind of putting on an old pair of running shoes. You know, it was just mm. kind of like, oh, this feels great. You know, as soon as I got to draw like clutch and, and rock and roll, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is fun. Just even though on those initial first pages, um, you know, I had to get those <laughs> those couple strange pages of that tiny robot slicing a rat in half, <laughs> you know. That was my very first page. I was like, what? Yeah. And then... <laughs> and then Drawing some, you know, G.I. Joe's throwing around a weird sandwich. But after that, I was kind of <laughs> like, okay, well, this is G.I. Joe, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's G.I. Joe if, uh, you, you know, can't devote half your issue to people talking about sandwiches, for goodness <laughs> sake. That's what it's known for. <laughs> oh, man. It's all, yeah, it's all part of it. I mean, I tell you. Very good. I had, yeah, a few random questions mm-hmm. uh, about Snake Hunt specifically that that cropped up as as I was reading it, particularly with our sort of deeper dives on the issues that we've we've been discussing. So, do you do you have the inside track of the uh, the October Guards in terms of their their appearance uh, back from from the dead and then eventually being uh, revealed to be some sort of android? Which I think the reveal was in one of the issues that that you drew. Uh, where we saw see horror show being open opened up. Do you have some of the inside scoop about that? Was that was that something relatively intentional, or, or was that was that a a retcon that was introduced after the fact that they had been introduced? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I was probably just as surprised as everybody. I was like, uh, I, first I was excited to get to draw the October Guard, and then when horror show starts like acting up, and then they uh, he sends off. Uh, shoot, who does he send off to go get Is ice it, or something? It's, Diana and uh, Dragunov, is it? Yeah, Dragunov. He sends them off. He's like, go get ice. And then they run off. And then he opens up the chest plate like like it's some 80s TV show. Uh, (laughs) And and that's all kind of described in the script. You know, this is kind of how he accesses it and pulls out a little fuse. You know, that's like a revanche, you know, kind of like component, right? Mm -hmm. And and I was like, what is going on? (laughs) I wasn't... So I was I was not caught up with like why or how and I was like okay you know um, yeah so I I really don't it's just kind of what was in the <laughs> scripts uh, he doesn't really allude to like where it's going um, yeah yeah you kind of just draw what's on the page and then assume it's gonna come back up later uh, yeah yeah so I wish I could give you more info but it was really uh, well, yeah so that was kind of my thought process first I was excited to draw them and then I was like what and then. Uh, I just I'm with everybody else just kind of wondering when it's going to come back around you know yeah I mean I'd, I'd hope that he's you know he's laying down the foundations of a of a future story where we can fill in the blanks and get it properly explained I'm willing to forgive 
you know most things if if you can come up with a plausible explanation sure. for it so yeah. you know I'll, I'll i'll sort of give things a past and, and try and uh and try and yeah get um be forgiving and and what's uh what's the expression i can't think of it now but yeah think think the best of it i guess oh, sure. it, you know uh in terms of yeah there'll, there'll there'll be an explanation for this uh <laughs> that that will come along um and you know larry often plays the long game where where things take up take some some time some even some years sometimes to to properly uh play through but uh i, I look forward to it because uh though that that original october guard was you know quite quite the classic team mm-hmm. um and I think it was yeah a shame to to lose them originally when they were killed off from from the universe. Uh, uh, so so yeah, uh, there, I think there is there is some potential good stories uh, in there if he does sort of continue down that down that mm-hmm. route. In that same in that same sequence, I think uh, Brekov was appeared at the door when he answered uh, uh, Crystal Ball delivering his uh, pizza, <laughs> and he was in uh, some Python patrol gear, which was I don't know if it was. Exp- explained you know we I, I i sort of got my own uh no prize in in my brain that that he's he's been you know disguising himself as a as a cobra to to snoop around and get intel but was was that was that the description on the on the script that he was disguised as a python patrol cobra trooper or something uh what what issue was that again two six nine oh two six nine um i do remember that he, he did say because i wouldn't have drawn that you know, uniform if it wasn't uh, in there. I mean, I'm just going to say, like, if I drew him in the Python yeah, mm-hmm. patrol outfit, I it, I wouldn't have just done that arbitrarily. So that was definitely in the script. I cannot remember if there was a written, you know, reason why. But, yeah, that seems like a very arbitrary, strange thing to be wearing. <laughs> and answer the door with it. You know, like, why would you answer the door with that on? Well, I guess if they're in Springfield, everyone's Cobra, right? Well, so... Uh, it yeah. shouldn't be, it shouldn't be too jarring. That's true. From that perspective, less even yeah, even less uh, conspicuous being in a cobra costume <laughs> potentially than being in civvies. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no help. No worries. No worries. <laughs> Do you have your own theories on on horror show what what he is? Do you think he's a, a robot or? A reanimated dead horror show. No, yeah, like I, that. I do think he is a full robot. Oh right. But I don't know that they all are. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So, because if it's you know, or you know, how aware they are, you know what I mean. Mm. I wonder if it's only Breck off the nose. Um, oh, it could be. Mm. Because he sent the other two off, but maybe it's just those two who don't. I thought because I thought that was a very specific plot point. You know, he sends Diana and Dragonoffa off. Right? Horror show seems oblivious but mm. that's him too so yeah <laughs> I, the i guess the the point about the two that he sent off were were they the they were the two that never died so potentially don't know the full story right. about uh about that because yeah who who knows who knows the uh the tale that they've been spun about why they're back yeah yeah so i, I mean there's i think you know he's probably got ideas of where he wants to go with that which would make sense and mm-hmm. um you know so yeah, so there's I think there's an interesting little arc to be told there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but I do think that yeah. they working with the the whole, you know, alpha and revanche and all that is some deal that was made. Yeah, that, and yeah. Like so that he's like, like some it. kind of fully animated, kind of a android or mm. something. 
AI. Okay. So another, I'm getting, I'm getting onto the really spe- specifics. <laughs> there was a, there was another one, a question from a guy on, on the, um, a friend of the show, uh, Steve Jubber, who, who sort of made a, made a point about the Aspid helicopters, um, and noted that, that um, a lot of the artists seem to be following a uh, a look of the toy, the sort of the unofficial toys that have been made of that that design. Uh, of the helicopter rather than perhaps the the original Aspid helicopter as introduced you know way back at the beginning of the run and was you know famously worked on by Michael Golden in yearbook and and, and so on um, just out of curiosity what was what was the reference that that you used for interpreting the the Aspid that you know cropped up quite a few uh, quite a lot in those first couple of issues of Snake Hunt. Um, I think so. That was right at the end of two seventy or two sixty seven, right? And then most of two sixty eight, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think there was just an image that Larry embedded in the script of two sixty seven okay. of that style of helicopter. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't so much that it was uh, listed specifically based on the toy as much as Larry mentioned in the script this style of helicopter like carries comes down and like carries the what was it carries the his tank away right carries his tanks and then I think I was like that reminds me of a of the toys right and Mm -hmm. so I think I did some kind of amalgamation of the the reference he sent and of the toy so I I wasn't trying to be like 100% accurate to either and then I think Netho kind of did his own thing as well. So sure, sure. I don't even think yeah, I'm looking back at it. I see that you you probably didn't illustrate the, the Aspie quite as much as I thought you did. Yeah. So I think I was. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Here's another really super detailed one that there was a Pyro Viper uh, introduced, which was a, a a new character, which um, I think was based on the Red Shadow Red Torches figure. Is that is that right? Or is that is that way too detailed a question for you to remember off the top of your head? Man, I've never had such a deep dive interview before. This is <laughs> you're going in. Yeah, yeah this is. A, I'm, I'm only asking these questions because because these are the next issues we're discussing oh, sure. on the yeah, podcast. Yeah. So it's so, so fresh in my mind after <laughs> after looking at it in such detail. I will tell you what. So on okay, two six nine page. Yeah, so page one, that kind of aspect's kind of dropping the his tank in, and even then, yeah. like. It was interesting. I was trying to keep the community center a certain design, and mm-hmm. between me and Netho, this, this, this place looked different every issue. <laughs> it's like, dang it. And then on page three, one of the only revisions I got from Hasbro was that they thought I defined Laura 343's butt too much at, on that bottom right hand <laughs> page. On the, yeah. yeah. And then uh, they're like, so they told the colorist to go in and adjust it, and he just yeah, wiped it out. Smooth so out it just looks like a flat butt. <laughs> I was like, was it even? It wasn't like gratuitous or anything. It was just like a she's walking, you know. But whatever. You say this was was this this was the only revision for the just that page or the entire issue? No, I think the entire <laughs> issue. I was like, what? Oh Seriously? my word! Anyway, um, crikey. So then, yeah, the hand or all the weapons. But... Okay, so yeah, so the pyro. Okay, cool. So so he's at the door, opening the door. Yeah, and he even mentions them, pyro vipers. The entire corridor is patrolled by, guarded by heat vipers, pyro vipers, frag vipers. Okay, so this whole time, he was mostly, uh, Larry was mostly having us draw mostly the heat vipers and frag vipers. Sure. Mm -hmm. Night vipers, you know, some techno vipers and stuff. I think that was generally the crowd. And but you know the idea too was kind of like just kind of I was kind of just excited about drawing as many vipers as I could 
fine and stick him in there. <laughs> yeah. And so I think I randomly just drew that pyro viper in. And then I think because he saw that in there, he was like, who's this guy? And then oh, right. and then wrote it into the dialogue. I think that's what happened there. I don't think that he wrote that onto the script initially as much as I just mm-hmm. kind of threw an extra viper in there. But then you never see him again. So no. <laughs> So that was you, that was your that was your design. Do you think? Yeah, I think I just a, I think I just kind of added that in, um, <laughs> and then it was colored that way too. So but that's fascinating because yeah, it sort of it almost exactly aligns to this uh, this char- this very niche character that was uh, introduced in the Red Shadows, which uh, was a pyro trooper. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think that's kind of what happened. So we're you know often we'll either see a, a name of a character you know, in the script and it, we don't get some catalog of reference. They we're on our own devices to try and find reference. So we're often scouring mm-hmm, online mm-hmm. or based on our own level of knowledge of who these characters are. I, I can't imagine how anybody who isn't some kind of already some kind of fan of GI Joe would even yeah. handle this book. And I'm in no way have an encyclopedic knowledge of the characters, but so I use resources like, you know, 3d Joe's or, you know, Yojo or other yeah, other yeah. websites that have these extensive libraries. Um, but even then, like there's so many variations that inevitably I've drawn the wrong version or some exclusive sure. version or, you know, stuff like that before without realizing it. And then I get called out and I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, something like that can sneak through too and just be an arbitrary like accident. But, you know, and then so if, if it's that niche, like it sometimes it's on purpose because I want to throw an Easter egg in there. And sometimes it's just totally on accident because it, that happened to be the sure. reference I found. And I thought I was doing it correctly and might have accidentally done it incorrectly. Or... Interesting. And all of the all of the characters that did have to be dropped, dropped in here. The original guest claim was that every uh, living G.I. Joe member would be in- included. Do you know how close to that initial description it was actually achieved? No, and I think I was a bit disappointed because I, you know, I remember when that, you know, that claim was kind of made when they they mentioned to me, "Hey, do you want to come on board? This is the event. This is what we want to do," and mm-hmm. that was kind of a sales pitch to me. I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." You know, I was kind of pumped. I wasn't literally going through and having a you know master list and checking them off. You might be, but I haven't. <laughs> but I did start. Did you? Awesome. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how well we did, uh, but yeah. I don't know. And But I never once heard from editors or from Larry or anybody like how we were doing or if that was actually going to happen. Never once did I hear after that initial invite to work on the book that ever mentioned again. <laughs> so I think they quickly wanted to forget it because they realized how big of a deal that, I mean, that's a huge promise like that's a big deal it's it's such an enormous task uh sorry cast and task indeed but that that i i think (laughs) i think it's near impossible to (laughs) to achieve unless you know unless they're you know the working from a a complete list to begin with and ticking them off and figuring out you know and then uh mopping up all of the remainders who didn't see any time on a bit you know one big crowd scene at the very end or something um i think you know they wanted scenes like even in this issue, like where you do in, in Utah, where you have that kind of pit scene in the, you know, a bit of the, where all the vehicles are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're able to kind of throw in a few in the background, um, but then that kind of backfired <laughs> <laughs> Oops, yeah. quickly. You know, so you know, they might have things like that. But but then you had the issue that Netho did where they're all kind of lined up to kind of say, hey, we're willing to go, you know. Yeah. yeah and then yeah, Larry yeah. wasn't happy with that because oh. it was... I think you had roadblock maybe right up front 
and a couple other characters I forget exactly mm-hmm. but yeah. real nice and big real close and of course as an artist that allows you to fill a lot of space yeah. Um, yeah. and then a whole trail of people going off into the background and I think Larry it was still in his mind at that point that like hey we want to get screen time for all these characters mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and we're like you you can't that's a it's not possible that's not possible <laughs> and to, to be honest a boring shot because that means everybody's a medium-sized character, you know? Mm-hmm. If you have somebody who's large in the foreground, that immediately takes up a ton of space. And, and so you have a limited amount of space remaining to fit everybody else in. And inevitably, that if say, you have somebody huge in the foreground, you have to have somebody tiny in the background or you have no depth mm-hmm. of field, mm-hmm. right? You have no yeah. depth going on. So he, he obviously realized that he's an artist himself. And, and he was like, well, I think you kind of just gave up at that point <laughs> and put everybody <laughs> on a bus. And we we're like, oh, dang it. <laughs> Yeah, if you're not in the bus, then you're not you're not one of the living Joes. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. Yeah, I was I was kind of I was especially after listening to your your uh, recent episode. I was I did want to kind of sit in on some of your guys's kind of banter and talk and and certainly I mean if you guys have any criticism for me, I'm more than willing to take it. You, I'm sure you <laughs> got an impression of the kind of person I am. I, I certainly don't mind. Uh, I give it to myself enough, but. The uh, it's just interesting to kind of go through the the issues and kind of think through, you know, just to get a bit of that commentary. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Almost like a, a bit of a creator or DVD commentary, I guess, as you could say. Choices that were made or things that were pointed out or things that were in the script that I kind of deal with or little mistakes that were made. Like, for example, in 275, I think it's page five when it's an overhead shot. This was another thing I had to deal with where we had all of these big action scenes and occasionally I had to just zoom out to kind of let the reader see yeah. the landscape of what's going on. Cause otherwise mm-hmm. everything's in your face and you kind of don't get yeah. a sense of the environment. And mm-hmm. it was when all the vehicles are pulling in, kind of creating this little kind of encircled area yeah. and the command We've got a couple of buses and, and the bongo van and uh, yeah. a couple of the transporters. Right. They're all kind of creating a little protective circle uh, and the command suburbans right in the middle. And in the script, it says that, Hawk and Duke are climbing out onto the top of the command suburban and mm-hmm. Roadblock gets out the back. And mm-hmm. I draw them as tiny little figures doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it gets inked. Right. But it gets colored as Cobra Troopers. Oops, yeah. And I didn't see that until, like, they send out a PDF after every issue. They send it out mm-hmm. and they say, uh, All right, does anybody see anything that needs corrected or whatever? We, every, everybody on, on the team gives it a once-over. Typically, mm. we all missed it. Everybody missed it. The editors uh, missed it. Everybody, and then it goes to print. And then after the trade paperback gets ready to be sent out, everybody goes through everything all over again. I was like, wait a minute, uh-huh. they're not supposed to be colored blue. Like that's supposed to be Hawk and Duke and Roadblock getting out of that van. Mm-hmm. And my editor Tom was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, it's a bit too late for the single issue, but we can recolor it. And so sure enough, like it'll be recolored and corrected for the. Okay. okay. For the collecting. So the trade, that one we'd fix for trade. <laughs> that one thing. <laughs> we missed everything okay. else. <laughs> but there, there have been worse instances. I know there was a, a panel, or I think it was S.L. Gallant and, and Gary Erskine, um, that somehow along the process, some Joes had been. It might, I, th- I think it must have been a quick and, and, and loose figure in, in, the, in the background. Probably, you know, probably 
quite a small small figure drawn and, and possibly loose loosely and when you know it must have been in the inking stage it was tightened up but tightened up into completely the wrong characters it was meant to be some joes and it was uh cobra commander and some some other cobras i think in the end that, that appeared on the page and made absolutely, absolutely no sense from the story perspective. but uh, so so yeah i think uh that that, that one was a little bit <laughs> a little more striking yeah well, more um, obvious, i wonder how many people yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you you knew who was meant to be there, <laughs> so so you could obviously spot it more easily. But um, I think um, because because you don't have necessarily as we're talking about as many visual clues in, on some of the pages, it, it's it's less obvious as to as to what should have been happening there. Perhaps <laughs> the one benefit that's the one. <laughs> Yeah, I see the next page actually. It's uh, yeah, you've got then Duke and Hawk on the roof. Yeah, that's like a page or two later. Okay, okay, so that makes more sense now. Oh no. Yeah. Did you did you have any sort of more sort of behind uh, behind the you know hidden you know magic curtain stories Mm. about uh, about the whole process that you can think of? Oh, there's. I thought it was interesting in two seventy three when Sean. I mean, it full on says. Uh, in the script that Sean jumps out and like blows the kneecaps out of Mindbender <laughs> and Cobra Commander. And as I read yeah. that, I was like, what? Oh my gosh. So I full on drew him like just getting capped, like both those mm. guys, like, and in the art, like they take it. <laughs> you know yep. I mean? And then like, like the next t- issue or, you know, or the t- two pages later, Mindbender's grimacing and he's like, I just got grazed. I'm like, he's got no knee left. <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, I just got a graze, but I think the commander got the full knee capping. Uh, I'm like, his knee's a mess. <laughs> and I'm like, oh dear. When I, that was one interesting thing where in the initial script, like it said, like they both take it. And I was like, okay. He, okay. he scaled it back in the script after mm-hmm. the fact in the dialogue. Uh, okay. no, interesting. Yeah. And then in the, uh, when I got the script for 275, your mind bender's like pushing the gurney around that um, okay that cobra commander's on and i'm like how's he walking around on that busted kneecap you know i was like because i didn't <laughs> I have it's just a graze i didn't have the printed 273 yet you know what i mean i didn't know right so that was one that was another one there like there's times where yeah i'll go back and read through these and uh i was like what dialogue will switch up on me i mean inevitably with any book it's it's interesting yeah again if you go to as a penciler, this always happens. It just happens. It's I, I read the story, and it's just part of the process. I think it's probably like this for just about any job, honestly. But if you go, if you, you can see my pencils, um, and they won't look drastically different, but everything's collaborative. You know, you do your part of the process, and you hand it off. And there's a lot of times where the people you work with will embellish your work and add to it, and either through clarity or, uh, especially with the coloring, like it adds depth and separation and special effects mm-hmm. obviously kind of kind of add to the mood and which is really great and then you know and then also uh, and not to take away from I- any of those steps I, I really love the people i got to collaborate with but i also just generally like just the look of you know penciled line art you know just because there's mm-hmm. a nuance yeah. to that, that kind of part of the process that translation from pencil to to ink you can you can face so much more nuance in the in the grade you know in the grades of pressure etc that are applied in the pencil that that you know necessarily have to be sacrificed when it's being inked right yeah definitely like exactly like in the rendering in when you look at the inked pages even the colored inked pages you're looking at the inker's interpretation of the pencils 
you're never quite getting a sense of the pencilers, you know, direct vision. Like you get a sense yeah, of the storytelling yeah. for sure. That's their job ultimately. You know what I mean? But yeah, so it is, that's why I do like always kind of seeing, you know, when they kind of pare it down and you can get like a black and white version of a comic or you can see on somebody's mm -hmm. process blog or, you know, Instagram account or something like that. And you can kind of see maybe some of that initial interpretation too. So, yeah, I mean, your, your pencils, as we you know, talked about, you know, very precise, very technical. So possibly a little less sort of decision making involved from a, from an Inca's perspective, there, but but some some pencils I've I've seen have, have been like, how, how on earth is an Inca meant to begin on on interpreting this? It's just you know there's there's pencil all over the page. Um, you know where where do you draw the line in terms of the interpreting what uh, to black out and what what not to? So there's yeah there's you know the finest Incas in the business. They've got uh, uh, when they're when they're working over the, that kind of work. It's a uh, it's a hell of a, a skill and, and definitely loads of room for for interpreting a, a you know a very different outcome as well because of the choices they're they're making it's yeah, an interesting part of the process yeah and it's uh yeah so i think you know it, it was interesting still you know you know i've been kind of working in comics like some of the very first comics i worked on was gi joe related which i'm always kind of happy that i got to work on something like this now mm -hmm. of course it's you know, I look back on it now and obviously you grow, <laughs> you get better with, you hope you get better, you know, throughout your career. But well, uh, I mean, you started out, what, 2005? So that's 15-ish years ago now. So it's, uh, I can't, you know, if I try and remember what I was doing 15 years ago, it's sort of, <laughs> in terms of the work I was doing, <laughs> I mean, it's it's all a, a massive blur. Crikey. I know, yeah. And it's, and what's interesting is that, you know, you'll go to a convention and, it's like if if so if anybody could get their hands on anything you did professionally 15 years ago and bring it up to you and have you sign it <laughs> and have you answer for it face to face. True. <laughs> and and you're like, "All right, you know, but what you know, but not to take away from it. You know, I don't um I don't say you're, you know, as much as it's I I recognize it for the fact that I grew from it. I don't just full on cringe at it because you know, at the same time, I just recognize it as something I I grew from. I'm still learning. I'm not the best artist in the world. I'm still trying to get better. And, and But it's still somebody's somebody enjoys that story. You know, and I don't want to take away from the fact that they enjoy that story. So I'm not going to sit in there and be mm -hmm, like, oh, mm -hmm. this is garbage. This I drew this 15 years ago. You know, somebody <laughs> is handing me that to sign it because they like it. You know, I'm not going to sit here and bash it. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I, I do my best to respect that, you know, but it is an interesting position to be put in. Like as soon as you put your work out there, like you answer for it <laughs> for the next, as long as people hang on to it, you know, and bring it up to you. Yeah. And, and, you know, as, as a young, uh, younger artist, you, you, you did, you, you know, that early work was still very strong and, and definitely just as good as any of the, the peers of, of the time. And, and particularly that GI Joe run that started with Chuck Dixon in 2008, that was, uh, you know, a very, uh, very solid run. And um, I noted that, um, I'm, I'm, I made this connection. I think I might have even mentioned it on the last on the last podcast. You're one of the GI Joe artists where it just seems a completely natural fit and and almost you know came fully formed hitting you know hitting the ground running in much the same way that Rod Wiggum did. And I noticed that actually you you'd referenced that in a in a previous interview that that he was one of the the GI Joe kind uh, artist icons that that you uh, you admired. Yeah, definitely his work, uh, especially as far as interior stuff and kind of Michael Golden too in regards to like covers and, and his mm. work on, on Joe, just because I, 
I tend to have, you know, uh, yeah, as detailed as I do get on minor kind of surface details, I still feel my work is a bit cartoony. And so I do think it kind of lends itself well to something like G.I. Joe, obviously kind of rooted in action figures, the cartoon and the comic, like all together, you know, from its inception. And so you have different people who are fans of G.I. Joe that come from those three different worlds, right? They either mm-hmm. grew up on the action figures or they grew up seeing the comic or they grew up seeing the cartoon. And obviously there's crossover, but I really thoroughly enjoy the detail. I enjoy trying to draw things like they work, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the fact that the buckles actually buckle and that things snap <laughs> and that the guns, not that they have to look hyper-realistic, but just that they look like they could function or you could hold them. They sure. don't look like made up, you know, weapons, you know, and as much, to be honest, as much as I thought I drew realistic guns, it wasn't until I went and worked right after I, I think it was in 2013 or 14, mm-hmm. I actually got hired by the U S army. Right, to, right, right. To draw a book called America's army. And my editor was a Lieutenant Colonel in oh, the wow. army. It was the best paid <laughs> job I've ever had. <laughs> Crikey. <laughs> Where well, yeah. I was paid hourly US, to draw US comic. military defense budget. I know, exactly. I was like, <laughs> it was kind of phenomenal, to be honest. Like, I had to answer three questions when he, for my job interview. He said, are you a U.S. citizen? I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, I didn't realize that was pertinent, but I guess, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, I'm a U.S. citizen. He goes, are you a high school graduate? I'm like, yeah, I have a master's degree. Like, I went to college. He goes, okay, that's fine, but I need to know, did you graduate high school? I was like, yes, of course I did. <laughs> He goes, are you willing to take a drug test? I was like, yeah, oh sure, gosh. I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> like, do I have to go to boot camp? Like, I just need to draw this comic book. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. It's like, okay, so. Yeah. And uh, he asked sorry. if you were a communist. I know, exactly, yeah. <laughs> do I have to take a polygraph test? And then test? you had like, to do you had, you had to do 50 push-ups followed by a 20-mile run like, with what? rocks on your back. <laughs> and um, so I got I had to work on this thing, and it was... Uh, Oh my gosh, like if I didn't have people's, uh, you know, like the pockets, the, the stitches correct on the pockets of the shirts, you know, and mm. the, and the, the actual weapons had to be, oh my gosh, so exact that I had so many revisions on that project that took <laughs> seven months, seven, eight months to draw three issues and which wow. they were just paying me hourly and they didn't seem to care. They just wanted to make sure it was right. <laughs> I was like, okay. So they just revision after revision, panel after panel. Oh my God. That yeah. was insane. And then that was probably the first art job I've ever got laid off from. I wasn't like fired, but it's just the job disappeared because of some bill that was passed in the Senate. I was like, okay. They're like, it's just budget cuts. <laughs> and then I guess oh the government doesn't need to make comics anymore. That was, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> There's probably better ways to spend this money. So Right. Anyway, but um, so I thought... The I, idea, I, get, I guess the idea behind it was that it was kind of like a recruitment yeah. tool to, to make the army look cool yeah but yeah i know yeah so idw i think was their publishing you know distribution re- resource but it was a free comic and then they would put it out in like recruitment offices and they would send it out to u.s mm-hmm. troops and high schools and stuff like that but yeah it, it paid really well um <laughs> so i mean i was obviously chosen to do that because of the work i had done on gi joe and it was mm-hmm. to be honest the the early idw joe stuff i did i thoroughly enjoyed it was really fun to kind of do our interpretation of G.I. Joe. It, that was a lot of fun. It was just a, a really fun part of my career. I think the most fun I had was or when we launched the Snake Eyes series mm-hmm. with Chuck Dixon and issues one through four. And then I think 
we did I came back and did I guess it was one through four and then we were always alternating arcs back then you know yeah I did the second arc and then maybe the maybe that was it or the third or something but I think issues 11 through 14 or somewhere in there I think that was probably the most fun I had on the mm -hmm. series that was some of my favorite issues and I still look back on some of those pages and I just uh, I, I was really happy with some of that work that I was doing mm. um, and then so I was writing that 2011 through 2013 like that was just a real sweet spot that I enjoyed the property a lot and I still yeah I still just really enjoy that excellent yeah I think um, at some point I'll I'll do uh, at some sort of read through of, of some of the ID earlier IDW continuity work and uh, and maybe cover it in, in some form of podcast. So, uh, yeah, it'd be great to, to get back and, and maybe have a bit more of a detailed ch chat about that as uh, as much as you can remember some of that. Yeah, well, there, <laughs> and there's the... some stories from back then. And I, one thing I do like about you guys' podcast is how quickly you review stuff is, because there, I mean, there's some kind of review podcasts I've listened to before where they can get a little bogged down in, mm -hmm. you know, the plot and the details. And man, you guys are like, zip, zip, zip. And I was like, well, you really get the point out. <laughs> And you tell the story, but I like that you kind of, you know, get it across and move on. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, we figured that if if you if you want to actually read the story itself, then the best way of doing that is getting the comic in front of you and actually reading it. You don't need us retelling it. So so it's more more than that. We can acquaint everyone with what the what the story is basically about. What's what's you know covered from a plot point of view, and then we can sort of then cover some of the fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I have taken up a load of your time. <laughs> I think two hours into this chat, uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's been a blast. It's been a, a lot of uh, a lot of fun, and you've been a, a, a great guest. Um, so I think I'll, I'll release you back into the into the wild and to, to do all of the things that you're meant to have been doing today, and have been uh, been waylaid from. Um, yeah, was there was there anything else uh, you wanted to cover? Is there anything that you want to promote? Let people know where you, they can uh, they can find you. Um, yeah, mostly it's just uh, a lot of the work I post is usually uh, kind of in progress stuff on Robert Atkins art, uh, either on Instagram or on Twitter. Um, occasionally, you know, I might post uh, just some random images on my old blog, uh, but mostly it's that. As far as projects coming up, I am doing a lot of like concept art for video games, just kind of on. On the side but it's uh and i can't often show a lot of that unfortunately uh mm -hmm. as far as comic book stuff there's a few projects i'll be having coming up through there's a new publisher called clover press which is kind of an offshoot of idw and uh, as soon as i can talk more about that then i'd love to uh, uh but it's anybody who's a fan of like the action adventure stuff of gi joe uh, i think would enjoy the story so as soon as we can Tell more about it. I'll kind of send you some more info. But cool. Um, so and that, I think um, I think up. some of your work can be found on some upcoming toys as as well for the uh, Valiverse. Is that right? Yeah. So that's been a lot of fun to work on. So the, there, he's doing a series of figures and comics called Action Force, not you know, strictly tied into the old you know Action Force property. But but yeah. So that's been that's been a lot of fun. So there's a lot of covers, and then he's putting out comics based on those figures. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you can definitely find that as well. Cool. All right. I think uh, we'll wrap it up there then. And thank you very much for being uh, such a great guest. It was uh, great to chat to you. Yeah, you as well. It's uh, anytime. I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to you guys. So you can find Talking Joe in all of the uh, normal places, over on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And when all's said and done, you can catch us down the road because we've been Talking Joe 
and we're all out of Jones, and also all out of Robert Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> no more. All out.